praise you for being the one that we can call on. Lord, we uh, thank you for watching over Maryland, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to bring healing to her life. Lord, we thank you for watching over Leighton this morning as well, and and um, uh, just pray that you'd continue to help him to feel better. And, uh, Father, um, we just completely rely on you for everything that we have and that we need. Um, you are our provider. You're our protector. And Lord, we just uh, pray that we can grow from your truth this morning as we look back at Daniel 7. Lord, we just thank you for these things, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Having some trouble again there, Steve? to sit, that's okay.
so grateful for the quick attention of brothers and sisters in Christ. just jump right into it here, if you don't mind. Um, I grew up with uh, three brothers and one sister. My mom called my daughter, my daughter, my sister, uh, her petunia in the onion patch. And uh, me and my brothers seemed to always be getting into all sorts of trouble. I can remember um, just hanging out around the yard one must have been a hot summer day because all I was wearing was a t-shirt and um, a short pair of, of thin soccer shorts uh, called umbros. And, um, and I, my brother came to me and said, hey, I've got a great idea. How about if I get on my bike and you get on your roller skates and we'll tie a rope to the back of my bike and you hold on to the end of that rope. So I, the summer sun must have done something in my brain because I was I went for it. Sure, why not? So we headed down our street where our driveway was, and and I'm behind on my roller skates, holding on to the end of this rope. My brother's coming on his bike, and uh, must have taken him a while to get up to speed a little bit, and um, comes to the end of our our street, kind of a, came to a T intersection with the other street in our neighborhood, and if you turn left, you would go uphill. And if you turn right, you'd go downhill. My brother must have had, you know, been, would have been disappointed to lose all that momentum he built up on his bike so far because instead of turning right to go uphill, he turned left and went downhill, to which he found was much easier, which was great for him, not so much for me. So I'm sitting here heading downhill, on, still holding onto the rope. I don't know why. <laughs> going downhill on these roller skates, and uh, he proceeds to, doesn't turn off into any of the driveways, and I don't know why, but I'm just following him, holding on to the end of this rope, until we get to the cul-de-sac at the end of the hill. There's no driveways in the cul-de-sac. This was a, um, just the, the neighborhood had just recently developed, and, and, um, and so at the end of this cul-de-sac, there was either the farm to the right, which was a wooden fence, that came right up to the curb, I don't know why, or briars over to the left that were so thick you couldn't even see through them. And so I'm, I'm sitting here, and he gets down to the cul-de-sac and stops his bike and turns around and looks at me, kind of like, well, I wonder what he's going to do. So with these two options of a full wooden fence or briars to the left, I took option three, which was sit down and hope these thin umbro shorts would be protection between me and the asphalt, which I was picking out of my leg for the rest of the day. It's important who you allow to lead you. <laughs> because where they go, you will follow. For sure. The choices that they make will affect the direction of your life. Oh, and I don't have my clicker today for some reason. Sorry. We're looking again at Daniel. We're here in Daniel 7, second half of Daniel 7. This morning, we're getting to look at the man the world will follow to its destruction. Thank you. Thanks. Last week, 
last week, we began to learn about Daniel's visions, his visions that deal with the end of the world as we know it. We learned of the same four empires that made up King Nebuchadnezzar's statue in chapter 2. In Daniel's vision of chapter 7, these empires are represented by beasts rising out of the Mediterranean Sea. Next week in chapter 8, chapter 8 will show the empires of Medo-Persia and Greece represented by a ram and a, and a goat. Daniel couches everything from the perspective of the nation of Israel. I misspoke last week. Um, Daniel looks at the end times as it has to do with the Gentile world and, and Revelation looks at the end times as it has to do with the Jews. But Daniel couches everything from the perspective of the nation of Israel. So, so the reign of these empires were obviously very important to the future of the Gentiles, the future of Israel. They made up what we talked about last week as being the times of the Gentiles. This is a period of time when Gentiles' nations are ruling over the nation of Israel. Daniel asks questions. If you recall, he sees this vision of these four beasts, and he asks questions of an angel who is nearby. It says, if you recall from verse 15, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the thing. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. The immediate purpose of this vision was for Daniel and Israel's assurance of God's plan, that he would remember his covenant with them as his, as his people, and he would install his saints as participants in his eternal rule at the end of time. Daniel describes his inquiry of the angel and includes this, his further observations of the scene. We see Daniel's observations in verses 19 through 22. And first here in 19 through 21, we see the beast and its eleventh horn that he describes again. It says, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which there three of them fell, three of these horns, and the horn, that horn had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. Daniel is very curious about this fourth empire uh, with its vicious devastation, its peculiar eleventh horn. We learned about the beast that represents the Roman Empire that conquered and assimilated all the empires before it. On the beast's head, there's a little horn that rose among the ten horns. We learned of how it represents the coming Antichrist. It's this Antichrist that we're going to mostly learn about today. But before we do, let's remind ourselves of his demise. We see the summary of final events in verses 21 through 22. It says, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. 
And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Studying the Antichrist and biblical prophecy feels like trying to study a bowl full of spaghetti noodles. Passages about this future ruler are sprinkled around the Bible. But let me compile these thoughts for you today. The term Antichrist is introduced by the Apostle John. John is the only one that uses the term Antichrist. According to First and Second John, Antichrist, the Antichrist refuses to honor God the Father and God the Son. He'll deny the incarnation of Christ. He's characterized as being deceitful. And his character qualities and intentions have described many people throughout history. In fact, John writes in 1 John 2.18 that many antichrists have come into the world. They certainly carried some of his characteristics. In fact, I believe Satan is always grooming his man in case he would have the opportunity to rule. The final antichrist described in Daniel 7 is the fullest expression of Satan's opposition to Christ. He'll be, embody, he'll be the embodiment of Satan's glory on earth and will be the empow, empowered by Satan himself. And we'll read about this in Revelation 13. This is where he's described as being the figurative beast rising from the sea like Godzilla. 2 Thessalonians 2, in there, Paul describes him as the lawless one, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Paul also describes him as being a master of deceit. We can learn from a whole range of verses about him that he is a genius in matters of intellect, speech, politics, commerce, military, and religion. He'll be installed quickly as a supreme dictator of a single world government. He'll exalt himself as God in the flesh and demand that all people worship him or die. I didn't start Daniel planning that we would be focusing on the Antichrist. But these verses in Daniel are very foundational for a full understanding of this future phony. They're a good start to understanding him because of what's pointed out in verse 22. It's important to note here that the final Antichrist has an appointed end. From how the Bible describes him, you'll probably find comfort in this fact. But more importantly, are the immediate events that come with his, this final Antichrist's demise. He will reign until God comes, and, and then he is judged, and then the saints of God begin their rule with Christ as their king. So as the Apostle John said, there have been many Antichrists, and in a sense, many fit his character and we'll find descriptions of Antichrist pop up in others of Daniel's visions in chapter 8, in chapter 9, in chapter 11. But these descriptions are describing other rulers who will come onto the world stage. These include the Greek general Antiochus Epiphanes and the Roman general Titus. But there will be a final Antichrist whose judgment by God will mean the end of the reign of Satan beginning with his thousand-year stint in the pit. Anyone who has 
who has fit the description of the Antichrist in the past was not the final one. Because even if God did miraculously judge that person, the event did not usher in Christ's reign with his saints. Daniel has a final marker here for us, for the final Antichrist. I'll talk a little bit next week about double fulfillment in prophecies as we, we see this come up in there in the sense of that many prophecies have a near fulfillment and a far full fulfillment. But for now, let's move to the angelic explanation that we see in verses 23 through 27. We see the context of the end times in verse 23 specifically. So these are the words of the angel that Daniel is asking. It says, Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all of the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns of the kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. The angel provides Daniel with an explanation of the fourth kingdom that he asked for. We've established that the fourth kingdom is the Roman Empire. We saw that both Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, as well as the last week of the vision, in, in, in last week in this vision of the four beasts, we saw this to be the Roman Empire. As, as he informs this angel, as in he informs Daniel about the ten horns plus the extra horn, which Daniel especially asked about, the angel tells him that the ten horns are ten kings. In the nearer fulfillment of this prophecy, these kings could be Rome's ten successful Caesars that ruled. In the far fulfillment of this prophecy, these kings are likely human rulers or ten nations that will hold great power on the earth. Notice that the angel mentions that the fourth beast will devour the whole earth. Some have estimated that the Roman Empire must, have, must be revived in some way to take over the world. But this could happen overnight given the right circumstances. And I believe that we'll look at the right circumstance this morning. But others see this as having the Roman Empire as having never left the world because of its influence on Western culture. It fits the fifth part of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream from chapter 2. If you remember, the fifth part of that dream, the fifth part of that statue is feet that are Roman iron mixed with clay. Recall that it is this part of the statue that is struck by the stone which represents Christ. Still others see the Roman Empire continuing through the Roman Catholic Church. In case you're wa waiting for me to state my opinion on it, I have no idea. Also the angel describes the eleventh horn to be another of the kings that rise after them. The end times prophecies of the book of Daniel start very vague, but they are revisited over the course of Daniel's other visions to bring better definition. Before we go into the specifics of the reign of Antichrist, we should talk about a time frame here. 
we live in what's called, known in biblical history as the church age. This is a time of the new covenant prophesied by Jeremiah in which God places his spirit within his saints, indwelling them. It was begun at the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. The church angel is also characterized by salvation being readily available to anyone who trusts in Christ as their Savior. The church age is contrasted with the days of the law and temple sacrifice of the Old Testament. The final sacrifice of the church age has been made, and it is Christ's death and resurrection as we claim for salvation. For us as followers of Christ, this is all we know. But for Daniel, this age that we live in is just a blank space of prophecy. It's a blank space between separate times when God deals specifically with Israel as his people. We'll spend more time looking at this in Daniel chapter 9 of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Until then, if you, if you well, know that God explained to Daniel and he decreed that 483 years would remain that he, would, that he had been decreed that he would deal with Israel as his people. He dealt with them for all but seven of those years. At the time that they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. He will deal with Israel again for seven more years as his people. Like I said, we'll learn about this in a few weeks. But if you're really itching to kind of uncover this 70 weeks of Daniel, you can read about it in Daniel 9. You can also, if you recall, we, we discussed this um, when we looked at the triumphal entry. You can go to the church website and check that message back at March 25th. I looked it up. So if you're like, what's he talking about? I don't want to wait until Daniel 9. There you go. What about us Gentiles that are on the earth when God decides to deal with Israel as exclusively as his people again? We will be removed from the scene. This is what we know as the rapture of the church. Paul comforts the Thessalonians with this truth because they were concerned about the believers that had died among them and concerned, did they miss the return of the Lord that they had been looking for? And Paul comforts the Thessalonians with this truth when he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we, so we will always be with the Lord. One distinction between this coming of Christ at the rapture and his second coming is that in this coming, his feet will not touch the ground. We will meet him in the air. In his final return to the earth, in his second coming, he is described as destroying the Antichrist and Christ will physically reign from earth. Jesus also promised his followers that he would return for them. He says in John, 20, in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So we'll be learning today and in the coming weeks about the tribulation as it has to do with the Antichrist. The tribulation coincides with the seven years that remains for God to deal with his people exclusively, his nation of Israel exclusively as his people again. This will be a time, this tribulation time will be a time of intense activity of Satan and the Antichrist, as we will point out this morning. This is a time when God will be pouring out his wrath on the world. This leads me to another reason why I believe that the church will be raptured prior to this seven-year period. We're told repeatedly in scriptures that followers of Christ have escaped Christ's wrath for sin. We're reminded in Romans 8.1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 describes Jesus as being the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. So how would we be here on this earth when God is pouring his wrath out on this earth if we've been told that Jesus protects us from that wrath. I wonder, have you ever wondered why the church today, compared to the early church, seems to be lacking miraculous power? I believe that it's because we are the church of Philadelphia from Revelation 3 where that Jesus writes to and says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Did you know that there are some churches that after the rapture will go on meeting like nothing happened? Now, I take a breath before I say this, but some of you will show up here after the rapture. If you call my house, I pray you don't get one of my kids on the phone wandering around. But folks, that's just how real this is. Parents gone and teenagers left. These churches that I talk about, I believe that these are those that are going to go that are and believers that are le- or, or churchgoers that are left are those that are going through the motions of church but without a relationship with Christ. I believe that Jesus is speaking to this post-rapture church in his letter to the next church that he speaks to in Revelation, this being the church in Laodicea, where he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would you, would that you were either hot or cold, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So I've given you multiple reasons for why I believe that believers will escape 
the tribulation. I also believe that the rapture of the church is likely to lead easily to the rise of the Antichrist. Think of how the dynamics of the world's powers will shift. Think about how in America and in Europe and in other nations as well, how many government leaders will disappear. How many military generals, Navy ship captains, Air Force strategic command pilots will be gone from their posts. Judges, governors, prison wardens and guards, airline pilots, bus drivers, teachers will disappear. Compare this vulnerability to the nations of the Middle East or India or China or others. The balance of power will shift dramatically. And the world may be on the edge of chaos. Then will come the man with all the answers. The Antichrist. We will learn from Daniel 9 that he will begin his reign by making a treaty with Israel. As you can imagine, Israel will be in panic mode with its western allies crippled. So we learn about the reign of Antichrist in verses 24 through 25. In verse 24, it says, As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. We read there, here about the rise of this Antichrist to his reign. He'll rise out of the rulers of the empire of that time. And we'll make a power play at the expense of three other rulers or three other nations maybe. Revelation 13 gives us some insight into his rise to popularity. As it allows us to see part of the reason why he is a quick rival of Christ on the earth. Notice in Revelation 13 what it says. And the beast, this it describes earlier the beast that came out of the sea. That's how it describes the Antichrist in Revelation 13. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like the bear's and the mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon, being Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound. But its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Notice that Satan, described as the dragon, empowers the Antichrist for the task of taking over the orb. Most importantly, notice that the Antichrist has a mortal wound, which was healed. This leads to the whole earth worshiping him. The Antichrist rises empowered by Satan and on the heels of an apparent resurrection. 2 Thessalonians 2 puts it this way. It says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved understand this from the beginning of creation Satan has tried to wrench people out of God's hands for his own worship he has always presented an alternative to truth he has always presented an alternative gospel. And the person of the Antichrist 
is going to be Satan's crowning achievement of deception and death. This leads us to the rule of Antichrist. Specifically in verse 5, he says, He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hands for, time, for a time, times, and half a time. We're told in Revelation, as well as in Daniel 9, that the tribulation period will be divided into two halves. After three and a half years, the Antichrist will break his treaty with the nation of Israel and begin a time of intense persecution. All those who come to Christ during the tribulation time, whether Jew or Gentile, will live under the threat of death. We're told in verse 25 that he will be blasphemous. His persecution of the saints includes starving anyone who does not worship him and receive his mark. As well, the Antichrist will elevate himself to the position of deity. This is what is meant by when it describes him as seeking to change the times and the law. This will all seem to be going extremely well for him for about three and a half years. This is what's meant by a time, which is one year, and times, which is two years, and half a time, three and a half years. Revelation 13, coming back to it, describes the same scene of satanic worship. if I have it. No, I don't. That's okay. I'll read it for you. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which equals three and a half years. It opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. The authority, and authority was given, over, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone, listen to this beautiful description, everyone whose name was not, has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. What a mess. All is lost. Right? God had declared thousands of years earlier exactly how long this imposter would be allowed to reign. Verse 26 tells us of the end of the reign of the Antichrist. It says, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. But it happens a little bit more dramatically than Daniel portrays. The Antichrist gathers all of the mili world's military strength at the battle of Armageddon. And they're destroyed like fire against straw by King Jesus. We see this in Revelation 19. Um, I'm just going to read it to you. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. 
and one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flaming, the flame of fire, and his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Then picks up in verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and with, with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who, is in, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the battle turns out anything but pretty for those who followed the Antichrist. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see the benefit of following Christ that we see in verse 27. He says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion shall serve and obey Him. Christ will set up His rule from earth and will reign. And we will reign with Him. Those who have accepted Him as their Savior here and now. When you're learning about a job you might be interviewing for, you might have the question, what's the benefits? What benefits come along with this? The benefits of following Christ is the greatest retirement package ever. And now is your time to invest in it. With your trust and salvation, also with your treasure, with the time that you spend with your friends and with your family, now is the time to invest. It's not just a job or a lifestyle. It's a relationship forever. Do you know what happens in heaven just before Christ comes and kicks the Antichrist's tail? They're getting ready for the marriage of Christ and His church. It says, Then I heard in Revelation 19, 6 through 9, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. When he comes like Jackie Chan, combined with Mr. T and the Terminator, all in a Chuck Norris wrapping. 
He is thinking of us. He's thinking of us. He's thinking, it's time to be with my bride. Why would we ever want to follow anyone else? Why would we ever want to trade our will for God's will? Why would we ever choose to worship idols of lust or security or recognition when we have everything in Christ? I want you to see the contrast between Christ and the Antichrist. Satan's best shot at stealing the world away from Christ. And here they are, just some of them. The Antichrist, his deception brings bondage. Jesus, his truth brings freedom. He is the truth that brings freedom. The Antichrist will do his own will. Jesus came to do the Father's will. The Antichrist exalts himself for his own glory. Jesus, the King of the world, God himself humbled himself for our salvation. The Antichrist comes to destroy Jesus came to seek and to save. The Antichrist is the lawless one. Jesus knew no sin. The Antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus will be exalted. Who do you want to follow? But I want you to know something. I want to connect that future to now. Okay? The Antichrist is the embodiment of Satan's religious system. The one who will perform exactly as they are expected will receive the Antichrist's favor. The one who does not will risk being killed. This is every form of religion except for biblical Christianity. I'm not mean to the extreme of risking being killed, but it's earn it and you'll be given it. Make yourself good enough and you might rise to that position. It tells mankind, lift himself up in order to earn favor and security. Jesus Christ brought himself low and sacrificed himself so that we could have everything and never lose it. So that we could have everything from the start of a relationship with him and be free to give everything away and not lose a thing. The Antichrist is also the embodiment of Satan's plan for the world. He promises life and freedom but brings death and destruction all for his own purposes. He will when we choose to sin, we're believing that Satan's plan is better for us. And we do it every day. We're adopting Satan's gospel. His, he's, his means of salvation is through rebe his rebellion at our expense. As one third of the world's population in the end times, when God's wrath is being poured out on the earth, as one third of the world's population is wiped out, as Revelation says, the Antichrist will shake his fist at God and say, Big deal! I've got more! I pray that we'll take sin very seriously. 
when we understand the contrast between Christ and Satan's alternative. There is no hope for safety and satisfaction outside of our rightful king. In relationship with the true Christ, there is no fear because we are loved by a perfect love that sacrificed himself for us rather than using us as pawns to get what he wants. Let's just thank the Lord for that. The worship team will come up. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I am humbled to think of how you pull us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. You take us from darkness into light, into de- from death and destruction, into life for eternity. Lord, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pulled away. But yet you love us all the same. Thank you, Lord God, that you stand in such sharp contrast. Lord, I pray that your gospel, I pray that your truth, that we have everything in Christ, would sink deeply into each one of us. I pray, Lord God, that it would take power and take flight in our city in our relationships with our loved ones. I pray, Lord God, that we would have a boldness to reach out with those that we care about and even those that we have a hard time loving and warn them that it's choose Christ or choose destruction. Lord, that's not our choice. We're just glad that there's the choice of being with you. Lord, just pray that you would ring out true and In our praise, we pray that as we lift your name up in praise and response to this truth, I pray, Lord God, that you would lay on our hearts how we should be responding with our lives during the rest of the week. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.